Have you ever been busy? Have you ever been busy? This morning's message is for everyone, but it is especially for those of us who feel often like we're busy. For those of us who are busy, for those of us who get busy, for those of us who lead busy lives, for those of us who live complicitly in a busy world. There seems to be a lot of talk in Silicon Valley, maybe especially in the Bay Area, about busyness. Uh, as if we here are busier than other people. I don't know if that's true. But there seems to be an, a work ethic and a life ethic here that maybe there isn't in all places. That being busy, staying busy is important. Regardless of whether or not that's true in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, many of us often feel busy. Many of us are often too busy. Sometimes we are overwhelmed by busyness. And for me, and for many of us, that's uh, our own faults. That's the result of our own choices, and we have to take responsibility for that. I have to take responsibility for that, and often I don't want to. When we talk about being busy, it can sort of be a twisted and indirect way of boasting. For some of us, uh, me, maybe some of you, as if being busy is a good thing. Or as if you or I or we are more important or better than other people because we are busy, stay busy, get busy, embrace busyness. Because our lives are busy and full and abundant and overflowing and frantic and frenetic and crazy. Which doesn't make a lot of sense. Because we know that in some ways the opposite is true. We are not better off when we are overly busy. We know what happens consciously and unconsciously when we get busy. We know what happens to our minds. We know what happens to our hearts. We know what happens to our spirits. We know what happens to our relationships. We know what happens to our lives. They spin out of control. They begin to unravel in various ways. Busyness affects my stress level. Busyness, in turn, affects how I see things. Busyness, in turn, affects how I see people. Busyness affects how I hear other people, I've noticed, and how I read certain situations. Busyness affects my attitude. Busyness clouds my judgment and so also my decisions and so also my words, as some of you have been the recipient of. Busyness affects my relationship with my wife. Busyness affects my relationships with my children. Busyness affects my physical health, my emotional health my mental health, my psychological health. And busyness certainly affects, above all, my spiritual health. My relationship with God, my in-touchness with God, my hearing God's voice, my following Jesus, my attempting to live and walk in his steps. And that's what we're talking about this morning as we continue with our study of the Gospel of Mark or chapter 1 of the Gospel of Mark. But before we get into that, let's pray together. Bow with me.
God, we hear the voices out on the street. There are always noises in our lives, audible and inaudible, laying claim to our attention. We ask that you would help us to be attentive to you and to your word, to your goodness, to your kindness, to your truth, and to your grace. Give us ears that are good to hear and hearts that are receptive soil to receive your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they just be passed over, not heard, forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So still in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel, beginning at verse 35, listen closely. This is the word of God. Mark writes, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. Everyone's looking for you. And here's the context. It was Sunday morning. It was the first day of the week. The previous day was the Sabbath and had been absolutely an insane Sabbath. You remember that uh, Jesus celebrating the Sabbath as he usually did went to synagogue. And this time a synagogue in the city of Capernaum. And there Jesus had preached the socks off of the people. He had blown the doors off with his preaching. He had preached in that synagogue like, that, like those synagogue goers had never heard before. He preached with authority. He preached with power. The people were saying to themselves and one another, no one, no guest preacher, not our regular scribe, has ever preached with such a power and authority in this place. This guy is amazing. And though Jesus, and through Jesus' preaching truth, he drew out a liar. Through his preaching light, he exposed what was hidden in darkness. And you remember there was a man there in the synagogue that day who was possessed by darkness and lies, a demon. And he comes out of a man and vocalizes himself and says, I know who you are, Jesus, son of God, leave me alone. And Jesus says two things, be quiet, be silent, close your mouth, get out of him, leave this place. And that demon did. And after synagogue that morning where all of those people were amazed when the time comes and the synagogue service is over at noon or so. After Jesus' very unique and unusual morning in the synagogue, Jesus and his several followers at that point, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, head out with everyone else out of the synagogue. And you know people are talking because you don't see or experience something like that in the usual mundane, boring, dull, predictable synagogue service like they'd seen that morning. And so people are talking and whispering and pointing and wondering and curious and watching where's Jesus going as everyone leaves and disperses and goes to their own home for the usual synagogue meal and rest. Things like what happened that morning at that synagogue in Capernaum don't go unnoticed. And so word began to trickle around the city. And Jesus went with Peter and his brother Andrew and also the new disciples James and John, fishermen, all of them, uh, to Peter's house for a Sabbath lunch, which we read about last week. And there they ran into Peter's mother-in-law who was lying out flat 
with a high fever and really, really, really not well. Jesus touches her. He heals her. He grabs her by the hand and lifts her up. And she's well and she's restored and she begins to wait on them. We read about that last week. Bam. And then they all enjoy their lunch together and the rest of their time that afternoon. Hanging out, conversations, rest, Shabbat. And then it's sundown. At the end of the official Sabbath day they began to hear voices outside the door, the front door. A couple of voices, a few more voices, murmuring, commotion, and then just louder and louder voices, and then a knock, 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 knock. And Mark tells us that there were hordes of people by this time who had gathered outside the door of the house from all over Capernaum who had come to be healed, who had been brought by others there to be healed, who had been brought to Peter's house by others that day to have demons cast out of them. And Jesus healed them all and Jesus cast out all of the demons from those who had demons in them, Mark tells us, one by one by one by one by one. And Mark doesn't tell us specifically, but we can assume that that ended up being a very long day for Jesus and his disciples, a very full evening of ministry that probably went late into the night and maybe early into the wee hours of the next morning, a day like none of us have ever experienced, much less probably witnessed, and completely exhausting. And then they went to bed, including the God-man Jesus completely exhausted, completely spent, having left it all on the field. Having care for countless people with every ounce of energy, power, life Jesus had in him. And then the next morning came. Sort of the the light began to seep through the cracks in the doorway and the windows of these not-so-well-sealed houses. Simon Peter and the others were exhausted, but Simon Peter at least pops right up with the memories fresh in his mind of what had happened yesterday and all of the excitement and still questions and wondering and amazement and astonishment. And thinking they were going to see that same kind of thing again, Peter was ready for this next day that morning. And you can see Peter, he sort of rolls over. There's the sun hopping through, rubs his eyes, sits up from his mat, looks around, sees his other disciples, pops up himself and says, let's go, fellas, get up. It's time to get up. And he looks around and that's where Jesus was sleeping last night. But where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? He checks the other room. No Jesus. Fellas, get up. Look outside. we got to find Jesus. Check the perimeter. Go to the park. Where's Jesus? No Jesus there. Go to the river. No Jesus there. Go to the town square. No Jesus. Go to Starbucks. Check Starbucks. Where's Jesus? And Jesus was nowhere. And so you can imagine that maybe Peter, maybe with Andrew, says, okay, James and John, here's the deal. The people are gathering. They're outside the door. Everyone's coming again like they were last night. Keep them busy, Pete. Keep them busy, John. Keep them busy, James. Stephen, play a couple of songs. Lead us in a couple of worship songs. John, get a game going. Get a mixer going. Keep people's attention. Hold a raffle if you need. Give away a day on a fishing boat with some fishermen if you need to. Keep people there. Keep people engaged. We'll go look for Jesus. 
And so they did, Peter, maybe Andrew, maybe a couple of others, headed off, hoping to find Jesus. The New International Version says Simon and his companions went to look for Jesus. But the Greek verb there means so much more than to look for. And it actually always has negative connotations the ten times it's used in Mark's gospel. A couple of different times in different ways early in the gospel. But the last six times, people are looking for Jesus, that same verb, to kill him. But always a negative thing somehow in Mark's use of that word. Looking for Jesus, searching for Jesus. Other English translations say pursuing Jesus, hunting for Jesus. Because that's what it took to find him. Because as Mark tells us, Jesus had retreated to a solitary place. Other English translations call that a a desolate place or a deserted place or a secluded place. The Greek word is eremos, and it's the same word Mark used earlier in chapter 1 to describe where John the Baptist was preaching and where Jesus was tempted by Satan. It was a place that was not so much a desert wasteland, but it reflects Israel's sojourn in the wilderness following the Exodus, a place of barrenness in some ways, but also of repentance and restoration and mostly fellowship, communion, connection with God the Father. Mark records Jesus praying three times in his gospel. Here, following the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6 and in the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 14, the night before his crucifixion. And all three occurrences, instances in Mark's gospel are at night or in darkness, in isolation, in solitary places where Jesus can be alone, undistracted, unbothered, focused. Jesus was not looking to be found. Jesus was not looking to be found. He really wanted to be alone. In fact, Mark couldn't be more emphatic about this. He wrote, very early in the morning, while it was still dark. It would have been enough for Mark to have written simply very early in the morning. Or, while it was still dark, rather than being redundant. And that would have made sense for Mark, who was the gospel writer who writes the most compact, brief gospel of all the others, using a tight economy of words. But Mark wants his readers to know that Jesus, after a day of ministry like few of us will ever experience or see, did not wait for the roosters to start crowing. He didn't hit the snooze button. He didn't sleep in. But in fact, exactly the opposite was true. And I don't know how he did it, but he did. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, I have a friend, George Gonzalez, in San Antonio, and George had, has this amazing gift of being able to get up whenever he wants, wake up, pop up whenever he wants. He's never used an alarm clock his entire long life. Doesn't matter what time he goes to sleep, he just tells himself, okay, get up at this time. And like clockwork, he does every time. Never oversleeps, never sleeps in, never misses work. Weird, wild, wonderful. And Jesus must have had this same sort of gift because he must have been exhausted. And he was up with a purpose, Jesus was, that he might begin his day in prayer, that he might begin his day with his Father because that was the most important thing. And when Simon Peter and his companions finally found Jesus, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. 
with maybe some exasperation or frustration. And there were two or three or four or five maybe people in this scene in the Eremos secluded place who were absolutely amped up, anxious, and fully focused on the crowd that was now flocking to see Jesus. And there was one person in this scene who was not at all anxious, who was fully focused on his father. Rather than on the noise and the clamoring and the demands and the urgency and the busyness and the crowds. Are you with me? Indeed, the man Jesus was short on sleep, but more than sleep, he needed time with his father. He needed time with his father because he knew that what laid ahead of him on that day would require for him time with his father. He knew the demands that would be placed on him, the wants, the asks, the needs, the challenges, and the pressure of many people and the busyness. And so, quote, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He got up, he left the house, he went to a solitary place where he prayed. Capernaum was a a large town, a city, a small city of about 10,000 people at the time. And Jesus got out of town. Because Jesus knew what awaited him that day, and Jesus understood that because of what awaited him that day, and every day, he needed time with his father. He required time with his father, and that time wasn't just important, it was necessary, it was crucial. Jesus would not do what he had been called to do without first spending time with his father. Jesus could not do what he had been called to do without first spending time with his father. And if Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, needed to get to a solitary place to start the day in prayer with his Father, if Jesus, who was the Word made flesh, who was the image of the invisible God, who was one with the Father, if Jesus needed to do that, how much more might we also need to do that? Certainly also would we benefit from such a start to our days. And some of us do. Maybe many of us do. I don't know. I don't know each of our rhythms or practices or habits or commitments. Certainly some of us have. Some of us do. Others of us haven't. Others of us don't. Many of us have felt like we can't. Our getting up doesn't have to be before dark, but we've still struggled, many of us, to pop up. And when we do, we quickly get to other things. How many of you use your smartphone as an alarm clock these days? Go ahead, raise your hand. Many, maybe most in the sanctuary. I don't know about out there. How many of you actually grab your smartphone, iPhone, cell phone, Galaxy, while you're still lying down in bed in the morning? Okay, just seven of us. Five, maybe seven, okay. How many of you, 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 while you're still lying in bed, first thing in the morning, reach over, grab your cell phone, turn off the alarm clock, check the weather, check social media, check the news, check your email, check your text, any or all of the above. Go ahead, raise your hand. Oh, even more, being honest now. Okay, good. Well, that's, that's sometimes, often, maybe, maybe a part of my story as well. We are busy 
We don't have time. We choose busyness. We choose other things. How many of you have said to yourself, well, I'm going to get up and pray, and then something happens, and then oh, well, I'm going to brush my teeth. I'm going to take my shower first. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get downstairs. I'm going to get some food first. I'm going to get that cup of coffee in me, and then I'll be ready. Oh, when I get to work, when I get to the office, then I'm going to spend a little time in prayer, and then I'm going to read the Bible. Then I'm going to bow and kneel. and Oh, maybe at lunchtime. Oh, probably before, before dinner, right after dinner. Has that ever been anyone's story besides mine? And then the day is gone. And then the day is gone. If Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, needed to spend time with his Father at the beginning of each day because of what lay ahead of him in each day, how much more might that probably be important for us as well? We don't have time, we're busy. Has any of us ever had a day that was as busy as Jesus? Can anyone say to the Lord God, I'm actually busier than Jesus ever was. I'm a really busy person. I live in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, traffic, noise, got to do this stuff. Yeah, I'm really busy. And yet we find time for you fill in your own blank. Watching football games, going to football games, watching baseball games, going to baseball games. Entertainment, Netflix, exercise, lots of good things, fine things, wonderful things. But it's amazing how we have time for that two and a half hour game, but don't have two and a half minutes first thing in the morning. And I don't say this to guilt you because it's, it's frankly my story as well as probably some of yours too often. There was a time when I was young, I had a friend, uh, a couple of friends and I were talking the other day and we th- were talking with each other and said, it, it just was so much easier to follow Jesus when we were young. What a weird thing to say, but somehow it was and it, it wasn't. But when I was young and single and didn't have kids and was in a different life place and didn't have as much responsibility and there was no internet and there were no cell phones and I didn't have a TV and I didn't have a radio and lived in a sort of little hobbit hole enclave, it was easy to get up and kneel beside the, because no, there was no refrigerator, there was no coffee brewing, there was no TV. It was easy to kind of start the day and go, oh, and to end the day the same way. Now life's complicated, life's busy, we don't have time, so we tell ourselves or structure our lives. We are busy people. Martin Luther is uh, the 16th century reformer after whom the Lutheran church was kind of named as the Protestant Reformation developed. Uh, Martin Luther was known for having said and written in different ways, I have so much to do today. And this is, again, the, the, the guy, the lead guy, the primary guy for the Protestant Reformation of the 1500s. I have so much to do today, so much writing, so much reading, so much teaching, so much pastoring, so much priest stuff, so much leadership stuff that I've got to begin the day with two hours of prayer. I've got so much to do today that I need to spend at least two, maybe three hours in prayer at the beginning of the day in order to get it all done. That's not my story. I wish it was. Our schedules are packed. We pack our schedules. 
there are demands on our time, we say yes to the demands. None of us have ever had a whole town's worth of people show up at our door, but God has things for each of us to do each day. Things he wants us to do, ways he wants us to be, things he wants us to see, ways he wants to shape us, mold us, uh, make us more like his son. If and as we are paying attention, if and as we have bandwidth in our minds, our hearts, our calendars, our schedules, our spirits. The following is an excerpt from an article that appeared in Christianity Magazine a number of years ago, an article that sort of became an instant classic. The author wrote, Not long after moving to Chicago, I called a wise friend to ask for some spiritual direction. I described the place of life in my current ministry. The church where I served, served tends to move at a fast pace. I also told him about our rhythms of family life. We're in the van driving, soccer league, piano lesson, school orientation night years. I told him about the present condition of my heart as best I could discern it. What did I need to do, I asked him, to be spiritually healthy? And there was a long pause. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, he said. Another long pause. Okay, I've written that one down, I told him a little impatiently. That's a good one. Now what else is there? I had many things to do, and, that was, and this, was going to be, this was a long-distance call back when we paid for long-distance calls. So I was anxious to cram as m- many units of spiritual wisdom into this least, in the least amount of time as possible. Another long pause. There is nothing else, he said. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. I concluded that my life and the well-being of the people I serve depends on following his prescription for hurry, which is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. Hurry destroys our soul. I have one slide for you this morning in addition to the three verses of Scripture. A quote from Richard Foster. He wrote, In contemporary society, our adversary majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and many of us, he will rest satisfied. Psychiatrist Carl Jung once remarked, hurry is not of the devil, it is the devil. When we pray, and there are different sort of thoughts about what happens when we pray and what we can do by praying, how we can act on God or prompt God or cause God to act or will differently. But at a minimum, when we pray, when we spend time in silence and solitude and seclusion with the Father, we hear God's voice, we pay attention to Him, we learn about mercy, We receive God's mercy. We are prompted to practice mercy as God has been merciful with us. We are given clarity about different things. We are given the wisdom that we ask for. When and as we sit with the Father, undistracted, 
in solitude and in prayer. So I want to invite you this morning to a couple of things. I was going to say challenge, but I know some people don't like challenges and that feels legalistic. So I'll say I want to encourage us, myself included, and invite us to consider practicing Jesus' way over the next three weeks. They say it takes, they say, they say it takes three weeks to develop a habit or a rhythm or a discipline. We'll call it a spiritual discipline. Without being legalistic, maybe we could give that a try. Maybe we could test that theory. Maybe we could see if we did what Jesus did repeatedly and persistently and insistently that we will experience some more of his life. Now, that doesn't mean to me that we need to get up while it is still dark early in the morning at 5 a.m., at 6 a.m., at 4 a.m., as some people do. In the first century Capernaum setting, the sun came up early. They lived by the sun. When the sun went down, they went to bed ordinarily. The sun came up. Things started to move. The roosters began to crow. The animals, the, the shepherds went out and got going with their animals. You could hear through the walls. You could hear through the cracks. You could hear what was going on on the other side of the door and in the house next door. There were no secrets. Noise, distractions started early in Capernaum. That's not necessarily the case for us who often have multiple rooms in our house or a garage or an outside or a back door, backyard or a shed where there can be seclusion, uh, being alone in a desolate sort of place. And so I would propose that if you're up for an invitation, that we start tomorrow with beginning our days in prayer. And it doesn't have to be a long season of prayer. We don't have to go away to hide. We don't have to get up while it is still dark. And I confess during COVID, I haven't been. Like I'm functioning at 11 p.m., midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., that kind of dark, not the other end of the dark. But that we get up and that we spend a little bit of time in prayer. And it doesn't have to be complicated prayer. It doesn't have to be super spiritual prayer. We don't have to say all the right profound words. We don't have to try to be Jesus. I'm going to talk this evening at worship in the parking lot outdoors at 5 o'clock. Uh, we're going to look at prayer and specifically the Lord's Prayer, which doesn't occur in Mark, so we won't ever hit it going through Mark. But we'll talk about the Lord's Prayer as a pattern for prayer, as a way to prayer beyond rote mechanical prayer, but a way to be with God and listen to him as father. I'm going to post a couple of other suggestions on our website, uh, on our Facebook page this afternoon for those who are interested in books, which I think and have been helpful for me, that give a guide to prayer, that offer prayers that the church has prayed for centuries, that help us when our minds are dry, when our hearts don't have words to express. 
So uh, if you're interested in uh, this invitation and would like to do it with someone else or have some accountability or have a prayer emailed to you every morning for the next three weeks, 21 days, to give you a jump start or to prime the pump, send an email to info at fpcsm.org and I'll get that or one of us will get that and put you on a list and we'll send you a prayer just to jump start your morning. It doesn't have to be complicated, but that we slow down, that we get away from the busyness and the demands of life and spend time with our Father, like Jesus in whose steps we seek to walk. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would forgive our busyness, the busyness that we choose, the cluttered lives in as much as we choose them, the distractions that we allow into our lives and that we schedule into our lives over and above time alone in quiet places with you. We know that we're the ones who miss out who have missed out and who do by skipping this time, by not paying attention to Jesus' way and Jesus' example. We ask that you would help us to have time alone with you each day attending to you, that we might know your will, that we might be empowered to do it, live it, be it, that we might be filled with your grace and mercy, that we might live more and more in the image of Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, Rabbi, Friend, Savior. Amen.